he created a classic and the entire industry recognizes it as such. So then along with that goes the determination of both of us that it's not worth doing a thing unless you do it right. And so we set out to make the very best version of the Sabenza. And at the same time, we were making the one-piece knives, and it was the very best version of the one-piece knives. And there was never a, a question that quality would be relinquished, sacrificed, or changed for quantity. And so we've grown very, very slowly, really, because of that attitude. It needs to be right. So don't, you know, if it's not going to be right, don't do it at all. Yeah. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and today's guests, that's right, guests, plural, are two people who are absolute leaders, leaders in their industry. They are called the apple of the knife-making world. I am speaking, of course, of none other than Anne and Tim Reeve of Chris Reeve Knives. Welcome to the show, Ann and Tim. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Nikki. That was quite a buildup. <laughs> We're known for that on the show. What can I tell you? Good, good. <laughs> so, guys, I'm just getting to know both of you. Ann and I have had one conversation prior to this, but prior to that, I've been a huge fan of Chris Reeves' knives. You know, I, I, I went uh, online and uh, started researching knives when I became a knife collector a couple of years ago. And, and I asked everybody, and I said, hey, who, who's the best production knife company out there? And everyone said, Chris Reeves' knives, Chris Reeves' knives, Chris Reeves' knives, Chris Reeves' knives. <laughs> it, it, it was incredible. And I'm like, okay, I, I guess I need to go find out about Chris Reeves' knives. And they said, oh yeah, these guys are like the apple of the knife world. I mean, look at their packaging, look at their boxing. It's absolutely incredible. The the thought and the the design that went into the making of these knives, into the creation of these knives is, is first rate. It, it, it's something that's been copied again and again and again by so many other knife makers. And I, I finally bit the bullet and bought me a Chris Reeve knife. <laughs> uh, the Good. first knife I bought was was a Sebenza 21. And what, what blew me away about that knife was the sheer beauty of it, right? The symmetry, the, 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 the poise, the elegance of it, the elegance of the boxing. I mean, when it came in this beautiful box, I was just blown away. So I'm a huge fan. I know how great you guys are. But my listener, my listener is an entrepreneur, is a business owner. He or she, they may have never heard of you, right? They listen to the show because they want to learn from great guests, great business people just like you. But first, they need to know who you are. They need to fall in love with you and your story. So tell us your backstory. How did you two help create this incredible company, Chris Reeve Knives? Well, it probably should start with me simply because I'm Tim's mom and he was <laughs> born into Chris Reeve Knives. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so... I have a background in administrative work. I've done a variety of different things, but I met Chris in January of 1984. 
he had just quit his work as a full-time tool and die maker and decided to see if he could manage to make a living making knives full-time. At that point, he made custom knives, one-of-a-kinds, that kind of thing. I lived in Johannesburg. He lived in Durban. That's a seven-hour drive apart. And for that year of, of 1984, we traveled the road very frequently. And at the end of the year, I moved down there and pretty much from the beginning of 1985 have helped Chris in the business. There was just the two of us working from home. And then Chris hired a helper and then another helper. And so we, we grew to a, a group of five of us. And all the while, he was making custom knives, but he had also come up with a concept of a fixed blade, which was machined from a solid bar of, of, of round steel. Uh, it was known as the one-piece knife, and it really put him in a new category of unique knife design. Those knives started to be sold all over the world in very small quantities. Remember, there's only five people making, well, four people making them. <laughs> I didn't actually make the knives, but I, I schlepped things around and I, I, did a lot I, I coated a lot of them. You we kept the lights on. You made sure everything, everything worked. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much always been my role. The money went into the bank. <laughs> yeah, that's important. And at that point, Chris was, uh, you know, he'd get paid for a knife in cash and he'd go straight to the grocery store. Yeah. We, we had to formalize things a little bit. Anyhow, we made our first visit to the United States to exhibit at the New York Custom Knife Show in 1986 and then visited the U.S. for uh, once a year to do different shows. And then we actually immigrated to the U.S. in March of 1989. We came straight to Boise, Idaho, and... We had said to ourselves, if we didn't like it, we could always go somewhere else. Well, 30 years later, we're still here. Yeah. And we we took premises. We scratched and scraped in the ground. We had absolutely no money, and we worked our little tails off. We worked so hard. We we had since we used to work from home in South Africa, we had decided that we should definitely have a, a home separate from the workshop. Probably a smart and, idea. <laughs> and, and then we got to the point of, you know, we should just put cots in the workshop because we spend our entire lives there. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was a, a neat experience. I mean, definitely it was, it was hard, but it was, it was rewarding at the same time. We made a lot of mistakes, but we made a lot of good decisions too. We, we hired two part-timers, so that would have been in 1990. And then in early 1991, Mr. Tim decided that he should make his presence known. Ah, welcome to the world, buddy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that meant that I couldn't work quite so much and had to be a mom first. It was an interesting juggle to, to be a, a business owner and a mom in a country where I didn't have much of a support system. We had some friends, but not too many and no family. But it's, it's character building. What can I say? So Tim has been in the business since day one. Yeah. And then as a teenager, kind of said, hell no. <laughs> I want nothing to do with this business. I'm going to go forge my own path yeah. and be a musician and a, who knows what all else. Yeah, I ended up in retail sales, essentially, is what, what happened for, for about eight years. And then... Uh, then what about four years ago? 
I like to say I, I finally read the writing that was always on the wall and uh, said, hey, can I come work for the company? And without batting an eye, she said, yeah, when can you start? So uh, <laughs> you had to go to Coachella first and then yeah. started after that. Yeah, Co- Coachella Music Festival, I'll probably never go back to that. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, here we are. So now I'm, I'm and then I've just had like a, a, a crazy learning curve. I came in and basically started a marketing department or a marketing aspect to our company. We've never really had it in the sense of, of outward marketing. Like mom did all the brochure herself and put the pictures and the verbiage and all that kind of stuff together. But outside of that, if we had a photo in a magazine, we'd send the knife out to get photography done. And so I, I started doing all of our photography and put the website and, and did all that kind of stuff, social media presence and all that. And then I slowly shed those roles. Now I actually don't do hardly any of, of the, the marketing stuff. And I, I basically have the, the range of the machine shop now and, and uh, wow. the greater gist of the shop. But mom still signs my paycheck. So <laughs> it's a good check and balance. <laughs> That's fantastic. So let's go back into the history of it a little bit, right? Because right around the time you were born, Tim, the Sebenza was born, right? And that, that that's the knife that basically changed everything in the, in, in the knife industry, right? How did the whole concept of the Sebenza come to being? And how did so many incredible innovations spring from this one concept and really completely revolutionize the knife industry beyond your company, quite frankly? Right, absolutely. Yeah, so Chris has always been a very inquiring kind of person. Oftentimes he would drive me completely crazy. I would buy a new frying pan, for example, and he'd look at the thing and say, well, why didn't they do this here? And why didn't they design it that way? It would have been much better, more functional if it did that. So he's got that kind of mind that, that thinks around what he sees and tries to make it better. And so... The liner lock was a a very popular locking mechanism at the time. And he looked at the liner lock and said, there's too many parts here. You've got your shim, you've got your bolsters, you've got your handles, you've got stuff. So he said, I want to take all of that away and just use the handle as the lock. Very simple. Yeah. And so he set about figuring out a way to do it. He had actually come up with the concepts while we were still in South Africa but the Sebenza as such was really only born in the U.S. He made, I believe it was 81 completely handmade Sebenzas. In other words, every handle was cut out on the bandsaw, every blade was cut out on a bandsaw, they were hand profiled. And he just said, there's so much potential in this mechanism, we have to figure a way to produce it on a, on a repeatable, accurate level. Yeah, sustainable level, really. Right. So we invested in a um, our first machining center, and my hand shook significantly when I signed the check for that, or I signed the loan to the bank for that. That would be the correct way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that was where it all began, and it was a, a very small, very old-fashioned now, almost 30-year-old CNC mill but we could repeatedly put the holes in the same place. The profile would come out the same because it was all driven by a program, which all of it was so in its infancy. And as great a craftsman as Chris is, he definitely hated technology. 
he, he appreciated what it could do, but he wasn't good at doing it himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, we outsourced to, to some different folks the, uh, the help that we needed there. But it just built off of that. And every time he would do a batch of Sabenzas, he would look at it and say, well, I think we can improve it by doing this or that. But between 1991 and today, there's really, there have been changes for sure. Virtually every year there's been some sort of a change. But in the overall, the concept has remained the same. And it was just, he created a classic. And the entire industry recognizes it as such. So then along with that goes the determination of both of us that it's not worth doing a thing unless you do it right. And so we set out to make the very best version of the Sabenza. And at the same time, we were making the one-piece knives, and it was the very best version of the one-piece knives. And there was never a, a question that quality would be relinquished, sacrificed, or changed for quantity. And so we've grown very, very slowly, really, because of that attitude. It needs to be right. So don't, you know, if it's not going to be right, don't do it at all. Yeah. And if I can just expand a little bit on uh, kind of your initial question there of, of why did that platform, that mechanism, whatever that ha is the Sebenza, why was that so good? I guess is kind of what you're saying. That yeah. frame lock was just so simple and so effective. And uh, it happenstance, and as, as the, the, the knife industry folklore goes, a gentleman named Michael Walker in the United States who helped popularize the liner lock had come up with a, basically this, essentially the same mechanism in his own right, basically at the same time. And we have to remember this is before there was email. Like the, your faxes were relatively new. Yeah. So you couldn't just, you know, you didn't have Instagram and all this kind of crazy stuff to find out what's going on, on the other side of the world. So, um, he kind of had the same idea and it, it was such a good, I guess just such a good platform and simple platform for people to pick up and run with making a folding knife. It's practical. It's a strong lock. You can, it locks up without having to do anything but open the blade and you can unlock it with one hand. And, uh, and so that, that was really the kind of the, the foundation that laid a, a cornerstone in the industry for a lot of people. Yeah, it did. And you sold Sebenzas and you continue to sell Sebenzas like hotcakes, right? They're, they're some of the most popular knives and nobody would call a Sebenza a low-cost item, right? Yeah, you know? no, nobody really needs a $400 knife, but no. thank goodness they really want them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 100%. 100%. Uh, and, and the reason they want them is because this knife has been such an iconic knife, right? The thinking that went into this, this is why I call this thought leadership, right? Was, hey, let's do this better. Let's do it in a way that's simpler with fewer moving parts. Let's keep the tolerances high. And, you know, you and Chris and also invented essentially one of the first, maybe even the first steel specifically made for the cutlery industry, right? Right. Yes. So when we first arrived here, ATS-34 was a Japanese-made steel that was pretty commonly used. We used that for a while, for a while and then we moved over to a steel called BG-42, but both of those steels were alloyed with different um, products in mind. BG42 is a bearing steel. I don't really know what ATS34's specific target was, 
But yeah, they were both specialty stainless steels. But along the way, Chris, we both became friendly with the metallurgists at Crucible Steel and just started shooting the breeze. And the conversation went along the way that Crucible would do well to develop a steel that was specifically alloyed for the knife industry. And it, you know, we give all kudos to the, the, the folks at Crucible for their creativity, for their willingness to, to try. But Chris was very instrumental in advising them what they wanted. So he sort of set the goal for what the industry needed, and they figured out how to make the recipe, to, to make the alloy yeah. that would support those, those functions. And, and those were wear resistance, machinability, corrosion resistance, and all of these words are, are pretty contradictory to one another. And so to come to the compromise that makes them work well together was quite a, quite a challenge. But yes, uh, so I personally didn't have that much to do with it. Metallurgy is not one of my strengths. It's not your thing. <laughs> I sort of have a passing interest in it, and I'm really glad that it worked out well. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that was a, a very developmental thing. And then he, Chris pushed them to, to just tweak it a little further. And, and um, the solution there was the, the addition of a small percentage of vanadium. Niobium. Niobium, excuse me. Niobium, which is the what we use today, the S35VN. S35VN is recognized as like the best steel in the industry. It's my favorite steel for the knives that I that I buy. I, I, I like to see if they have that. If, if that's an option, I want to get knives made with S35VN versus D2 or AUS8 or any of those other types of steels. It's just such an elegant, fantastic solution to so many problems in knife making. And as a knife collector and a knife user, it just means that, that my knives are going to last longer and be in better shape as a result of it. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being part of the vision that made that a reality and made it happen. So the Sebenz is created. It changes the industry because of the frame lock and because of the vision that you guys had to bring S35VN steel, the first steel specifically created for the cutlery industry. So in this way, Chris Reeve has been an iconic iconic knife company because like Apple in the technology world, you've come up with innovations that nobody else thought of, right? There's a mad genius that was at the helm, you know, Steve Jobs in Apple's case, Chris Reeve in Chris Reeve Knives' case, and both these mad geniuses, they wanted to do things that would be simpler, easier for people to use, things that would make the solution more elegant. What are your comments on that? Well, I can definitely tell you that my old man really liked Steve Jobs. Frankly, after Steve passed, you know, a couple of biopics came out and stuff. I started getting him the CDs and he just got hooked because I think the two of them obviously thought very similarly and in some ways ran their businesses similarly. But there's, I don't know, you get those unique individuals that have, one, the vision, but then you also have to push hard enough to to get it done. And that's that balance between a dream and a pursuit or a dream and actually the, the work and getting it done. And, and the, the, the resulting success. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people have great ideas. They run out of steam in execution. 
Yeah. yeah, that's, you know, that's very powerful. I, I, I really like the way you said that. It's very elegant. A lot of people have great ideas, but they run out of steam in the execution. And the reason why I do this podcast, the reason why I have my program for potential thought leaders is to help them not run out of steam because there's a lot of good people out there, Anne and Tim, who have a desire to make a difference, who want to make the world a better place, who've got something great to share with the world. But you know what? They 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 just run out of steam. And the reason they run out of steam is they're doing it alone. They're doing it by themselves, you know? And that's why I do what I do to, to be a, a, a voice that stands for them so they're not alone, right? Don't do it alone. Hashtag don't do it alone is one of my, my favorite kind of hashtags that I put out there on social media because I, I believe everybody needs great people to support them. You need either mentors, you need peers, you need people that are going to be there for you on the days that, you, you know, you're not feeling too great about yourself. I think that's very important. What do you think about that? Yeah, you need like a beacon of light. I can tell you on a daily basis, I need a beacon of, of some sort to point me in the right direction. Even with the 45-ish employees that we have, I can get myself totally spun between whether it's a customer problem or a problem on a machine or a supply issue or whatever, and you can get yourself totally spun. You need that kind of guiding light that usually comes from other people. And whether it's like for me, it's my mom, which is really nice because she's close at hand, or we've got other folks in the industry. Uh, Bill Harsey's a gentleman that we've Oh, he's great. Um, Love his designs. Yeah. You know, Bill either calls me or I call him at least once a day. And he tends to put my head back on straight. And, okay, get back at it. Let's go. You know? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love the Harsey uh, Design Pacific fixed blade. That's one of the three Chris Reeve knives that I currently own. I say currently because I expect that, that number to be added to <laughs> in the next <laughs> little while. Um, <laughs> for sure, for sure, we can talk. We can talk offline when the interview's over about what I should buy next. But uh, I'll tell you, here's what I believe. Okay, I believe that the cutlery industry is actually poised for growth. And I was talking to Greg Medford about this uh, when I interviewed him. And here's why I believe that. I think today um, a lot of men are lost. Right, a lot of men today don't don't know what it is to be a man. The world has changed, right, and they're just unsure of how to comport themselves. And you know, there, there's been a lot of changes that have been for the good, but but some maybe haven't been so good. Some of the old virtues of masculinity, like keeping your word and taking care of your family and being someone who's reliable, have been lost, and, and, and they're not they're not celebrated the way they used to be, right? And, and I believe there's a whole generation of men right now, in particular, that are looking for that, that are looking for something to make them believe that being a man, being a good man, being a masculine man isn't necessarily like a toxic thing, but it's a good thing. And, and, and they want to believe that, and they want to live life from their power as a man. And I think that there are some companies and industries that are poised to be able to help them do that and profit from it. I believe the cutlery industry, the knife-making industry, is one of those industries. Now, just to say, you know, women should own knives, I think women should own knives. Every woman should own a knife. Every man should own a knife. I believe that. I believe that very strongly. In fact, I bought my, my better half uh, a Mel Pardue Benchmade. I know, I know. I'm going to buy her a Chris Reeve as well. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but when I first – talked to her about the idea, she recoiled, and now she loves it. And I'll tell you a story. You're going to laugh at this, right? She has a 17-year-old niece, 
And they went shopping one day to buy uh, to buy a dress for her niece. And so her niece went into the change room with a dress. And then, uh, y- y- you know, my, my better half, Teresa, she she was browsing. And uh, and then all of a sudden she gets a call. She picks it up. And it's her, and it's, it's her niece saying, Aunt Teresa, Aunt Teresa. I said, yeah, what's going on? She said, Aunt Teresa, listen, I, I, help. I'm stuck in my dress. Do you, ha- do you have oh. your knife with you? Do you have your right. knife with you? And I'm like, oh my God. She said, yeah. She says, come here. You're going to have to cut me out of my dress. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. And she she cut her out of her dress, right? And I, I, I mean, she said, that was useful. I'm glad I had my knife with me, right? And knives are useful for so many things, right? Knives can give you a feeling of power. I mean, for a man, men, men have been using knives as tools for millennia. You know, so something that gives you uh, a connection to that feeling of authentic masculinity and strength and power. I'm telling you, I think that's powerful. That's why I believe your industry, if, if you guys do what the milk industry did, right? Steve Jobs said the milk industry was going nowhere until they came up with got milk. I think the knife industry should come up with something like got a knife, right? Yeah. Uh, to, to, to really push that message forward to a generation of men, especially younger men in their in their 20s and, and, and mid-30s, up to their mid-30s. I think there's a lot of growth there that's possible. And I think it's possible from, for executives who normally wouldn't dream of, of carrying a knife to like want to buy a knife, right? And maybe they'll carry it. Maybe it'll, it'll sit at home. But it's something that I believe is poised to make a difference, is poised to be a growth industry, right? So I'm giving you a little bit of my wisdom around like kind of marketing and messaging and, you know, who knows, maybe you guys hate the idea, maybe you love it, but I believe it's worth exploring. And I believe your industry is a great one and you're one of the leaders in the industry and you've always been an innovator. And I, I, I think the innovation's got to be now at the level of not just the message, but who is your customer? Why do they want to buy these knives? And what does this say about a, a, a man or a woman who buys a Chris Reed knife? Right. At one point, we, uh, so my girlfriend, Marissa, she, she's taken over our social media, the Instagram and stuff. And at one point, she had a, quite a, a good idea and she's going to, a strong will to make, start a hashtag saying like, knives are tools. Yeah. And that ties into that kind of what you were saying about men losing their way to some, some degree. And I, I tend to think of it as, as over the last, however many years you want to call it, but men have become less useful and you're losing your usefulness and yeah, tools make you feel good about yourself. Yeah. And so if you have a knife in your pocket, it's something useful. It's, it's made for a dedicated purpose. It's, it's rather specialized. It does what it does really well. And so even if you have that in your, in your pocket, if you're around and you can cut someone out of their dress per se, or whatever that you need cut, <laughs> open a, you know, clamshell packaging or whatever it is, like, yeah. you know, you're useful at that point. Otherwise you're a mug standing there with your hands in your pockets. Right. Yeah. And so maybe that ties into that a little bit. And, and again, I like just that. quick following on, on the knives of tools, there's always been this knives are weapons. No, they're not primarily they're tools. Yeah, and so for for people to become less fussed up about it, where people can carry a knife with confidence, where they can use that knife with confidence, I, I think it's vital. And I, I completely agree with the both of you on the the fact of men are just not allowed to be men anymore. 
No, yeah. that's not good. That's not good. But that's that. That's a conversation for 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 another podcast. I'm I'm sure we're gonna have you back. We'll talk about some more things because I'm really enjoying this talk. But I, I, I'll I'll tell you that uh, I think that this type of message is going to be attractive to a lot of men, and they're going to buy. It's it's kind of like the anti Gillette. Remember when Gillette put out that ad a few months ago? Where they basically st- were, were like shaming men. I'm like, oh my god, are you kidding me? Do you know your customers are men? Don't shame your customers. That's not smart. <laughs> yeah, it's not smart. No, it's not smart. They lost a lot of customers. I'll tell you that right now. But um, it's 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 powerful when you celebrate your customers and you give them a reason to identify with the aspiration that your product represents. You know, so that, that, that's to me very important and very powerful. And what I really love about your company is A, you're an innovator. B, you're a company that thinks about the user experience and the customer experience in a big way. And it sounds like you're starting to think about the aspirational messages that are going to really be powerfully attractive to your potential customer base. So kudos to you for doing that. Well, thank yeah, you. Thanks. Yeah. No, we would be nothing if we didn't have customers. <laughs> so, so yeah. you, know, you treat your customer right. You give them what works for them, and and support the whole experience all the way. Yeah. It's so yeah. simple. It's such common sense, but a lot of people don't quite see that. I don't know why. So, yay, customers! <laughs> gosh, yay, customers! I love my customers. <laughs> I mean, the, the more the, the 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 more of them there are, the more people I can serve and make a difference for. So, that's fantastic. So let's let's talk about the future of Chris Reeve knives. Like, where are things going? I know you've done a redesign and a relaunch of your iconic Sabenza. What's the vision for the future? Where do you see the company being in five years, ten years? Okay, can I just go back five years just sure. for a minute? Absolutely. Uh, which, which just sort of rounds out the, the Chris's role in the company and why it's Tim and I who are, are leading up the company. So Chris retired five years ago. He had just burned out. He was so done with everything that had to do with knives. He just, he, he just said, I, I, I've got to get out of here. And that was the point where I had been in the business the entire time, but the, I actually bought him out and own the company now. So Tim and I together will go forward into the future. And I just, I want to give all kudos to Chris for everything that he did in this company. Yeah. He's, he set a platform, a, a, a legacy that was huge. And it's our job to continue, to continue it and yeah. to, to carry it forward and continue to be innovative. Tim has got, he's quite a chip off the old block. He's, <laughs> he's got a lot of his dad's instinctive understanding of design that there's a great future for Tim in, in the whole. And it's not just from a, a management point of view of the company or the, the running the machine shop or any of that. It's is I, I can see Tim learning a lot from people like Bill Harsey or, you know, a lot of our other friends in the industry and bringing out innovative designs of his own. The uh, many of the changes, minor changes that there are, but, that are involved in the Sabenza 31 or, or, or Chris's, uh, Tim's brainchild. And he was the guy who said, okay, I believe we will make this other tiny step forward if we do this and create a, a new version of this very successful existing product. Uh, a thing that really makes him mom proud to <laughs> see him pick up and, and, and run with it. Uh, 
That's fantastic. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait to get me a Sabenza 31. I'm very excited about picking one up. Just don't hold your breath because it's going to be a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the other part of that is we're stable. I, I always say it's stabilizing the company and it's less, it was some part of it was, you know, the transition of Chris leaving because you have that, that, like you said earlier, that Steve Jobs pinnacle genius kind of driving force of the company. When somebody like that moves, uh, moves out, there's left a, maybe a bit of a void. And so we've learned over the last couple of years of, of how to fill that void and how to change the company enough that we don't lose wh- who we are, right. but keep going down the road. You know, it's, it's kind of a funny balance. So we're going to keep growing. We're going to keep expanding, but still at a very slow, solid building pace, I guess. Yeah. And the one thing that's so nice about having Tim step in as, as a younger person, Chris was pretty old school in a lot of, a lot of ways where Tim is, is much more embracing of modern technology um, and isn't afraid to try it. Chris was always a little tentative of things that, that he didn't really know. And, and, you know, he was trained on manual machines and, and you take a square of steel and you straighten it up this way. Well, they're in computer technology now, there are many different ways of doing a thing. Mm. And so we can look at some of the processes that we've been doing the same for years and years and upgrading them, modernizing them, and in a lot of areas, doing them better with greater accuracy. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Tim is you and Chris's son, man. I mean, the, the, this, 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 this young man, you know, there's some pedigree there, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the fact that you come into the industry and, and you're determined to take on one of the most challenging aspects of it, which is manufacturing and making sure that that, that end of the business is working. Kudos to you, man. Kudos. And I'm sure that you've got plenty of great people around you that, that uh, are, are ready to serve you. And they're, they're, there's the Chris Reeve legacy there to inspire you as well. So I see you guys and what you're doing is a continuation of what you and you and Chris created together in Chris Reeve Knives. His name's on the door and he came up with some legendary designs and innovations but, you know, no one sticks around in a business forever, right? And a business has to have a legacy beyond the founder if it's uh, going to be a meaningful business. Yeah. So. Isn't part of the goal to, like, retire one day? <laughs> yeah. yeah, good for him. He retired, yeah. I'm sure you can pick up the phone and call him if you need to. I mean, he's... Yeah, I run all sorts of stuff past him all the time. And, you know, when I get off in the weeds on something and my gut's saying, hey, Tim, you're, you're off in the weeds. is hey, Dad, so what am I doing here? And he says, well, don't do that because I've done that a thousand times. I'll save you some time and money, you know. So well, there you go. Good. There you go. And uh, it's powerful and it's important. Your your company is an iconic company in the knife industry. And frankly, I, I, I want to see Chris Reeve Knives be a company that's going to be an iconic company, period. That non-knife community people right now start buying your knives in bigger and bigger numbers. I believe that's a possibility. And I, I believe that there's a lot that can be done to help the industry as a whole grow and help you guys grow. The industry right now is under a billion dollars in the United States. I think this could be a $5 billion a year industry easily, easily. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and thank you for your, your encouragement to us on that score. That's it kind of makes me feel, yeah, we're doing something right. <laughs> you are doing something right. You are doing something right. And uh, the other thing to study Steve Jobs on is around messaging, is around why 
the why. Simon Sinek, have you guys heard of Simon Sinek? Yeah. Yeah. He wrote that book, Start With Why, and he had that TED Talk that's been watched by a gazillion people, right? It's really important for people to understand why you do this and who you want to impact with this. Because if people hear that, they're going to go, that's me. And that's when they want to buy more, right? Because the knife community people, they're buying your knives. We want to find out what do they have in common with non-knife community people that we can start speaking to? And um, how do we get that message out there in a bigger way, especially to the younger men? Because I believe when they when they find out about these knives and when it connects to the aspiration of who they want to be as a man, they're going to buy them in droves. <laughs> That's my belief. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. And happy to <laughs> chat with you about this anytime offline. Uh, anyways, sure. yeah. Uh, yeah. so guys, we like to end off each one of our interviews by asking you, our expert guests, what are your top three expert action steps that you recommend our listener takes on to help them take their life and their business to the next level? So what do you say? Well, we, we kind of tossed this around a little bit and probably came up with eight things, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> But the, How about but three that, each? How about that? I'll give you three each. <laughs> now, the, the one that, um, that I liked that Tim brought forward first was be decisive and then run with it. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah. But if you are not decisive and then follow through, you'll never get there. Yeah. And how do you follow through on something that you're not decisive about? Right. You know, if there's no decision made. And it's, it's been a way for, for me coming up being the younger or the next generation, the young guy in the shop and probably the least qualified person to be here and starting to manage people that are much more skilled than I. You get in these situations, everyone's looking around, your employees are saying, well, someone's got to make a call. It doesn't really matter what call you make because you're going to try and make your best call no matter what. But you make a decision, even if down the road you go, oh crap, that was the wrong one. My fault, guys, my bad. They all go, okay, cool. Well, what's the next call? We're, we're behind you. Then there's another decision to be made to move forward. Yeah. But yeah, if you just sit in the pond of, I made a mistake, you're never going to get where you're going to go. No, you got to move forward. You got to be decisive. You got to move forward. 100%. I love that one. Great. Yeah. And then for me, it's be humble and show integrity all the time. Yeah. If you're going to go out there strutting, thinking you're the most important person in the world, yeah, you're going to fall flat on your face. You have to be able to be humble enough to take redirection from other people, to take advice from people, and to listen to people. And if you don't have integrity, you have nothing. If people can't take you at your word, if you take more than you deserve, if you try to be backhanded or underhanded, it's going to catch you up. So don't, don't go down that path to begin with. Always be straightforward, honest, and do the right thing. Pretty simple. Yeah. (laughs) No, those are very powerful and very simple. I love it. So listener, these two individuals are amazing people. You can feel their heart. You can feel how much they care. And I'll tell you, if, if you've been listening to my interviews of some of the Knife Company founders and CEOs, and you've been intrigued by collecting knives, or maybe if you thought, yeah, you know what, I think I'm gonna buy a knife, you should definitely buy a Chris Reeve knife. Oh my God, they're so fantastic, right? 
I, I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan. So go to their website, Chris Reeve Knives. Chris Reeve.com. Okay, go to the website, check out their knives. You got you guys have dealers all over the place and they can order knives from you direct. I, I love the Umnums on and I love the Sebenza 21. Uh, those are fantastic folding knives. The Pacific knife's a great one. I'm looking forward to getting myself an Incosi, a Sebenza 31. Phenomenal, phenomenal knives. Make sure that you check them out. Make sure that you pick one up for yourself. And you know what? It's a blessing to, to get to learn from folks who've grown up with their company and created something magnificent the way you have, Anne, and the way you, you are doing right now, Tim. So thank you very much for that. Nikki, may I end up with one final piece of advice for of anybody listening? 100%. It's something, it's a little plaque that I bought probably 20 or 25 years ago. And it says, courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. Hmm, I love that. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's amazing. Thank you. It's good. It's yeah. good. It's good. It's good. So listener... You might be thinking to yourself, hey, I love these guys. They're awesome. So, but how do I get to be like them? How do I get to be like the Chris Reeve knives in my space? And the answer is really simple. I'm glad you asked the question. Go to Nikki360, N-I-C-K-Y-360.com. Watch my webinar masterclass on the six shifts to help you take that genius, that expertise, that purpose within you and add a quarter million, half a million, a million dollars a year to your bottom line. So go ahead and do that right now. And once you've done that, if you're moved to say, hey, I want to find out more about how I can do this specifically, go to my website, eastcircleacademy.com, go to the button in the top right-hand corner or the middle of the page and get on my calendar. The call is an absolutely free call, and what we're going to do in that call is we're going to have an honest conversation about you, about your vision, about where you want to go, and we're going to help you be sought after in your space. And Tim, thank you so much. It was a real honor to have you on the show today. Well, thank you, Nikki. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, and you've got a great thing going, so keep it up. Absolutely. I it. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. So do you guys. Thank you so much. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guests, Anne and Tim Reeve, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Go to the show notes so you can find out how to, how to purchase one of their knives, where you can find a dealer, and definitely listen to this podcast interview. You're going to learn a lot from it. And as Anne said, sometimes courage isn't a roar. Sometimes courage is the small quiet voice at the end of the day that says, I will try again tomorrow. Until next time, goodbye.